Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have a very special guest with us again, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker of the Brownstone Institute. Thanks for being here, Jeffrey. Well, so nice to uh, be here again. Thank you. I appreciate it. Jeffrey was on last year. Gosh, it's been over a year now. And we have, as a guest co-host today, Ms. Jonalyn Fincher joining us from Exeter, New Hampshire. Lovely to be back so soon, Lucas. Thanks for having me. So I asked Jeffrey to come back on because I'm always interested in what Jeffrey has to say about pretty much anything. But gosh, everybody's talking about RFK Jr. I did it. I did it. Um, I kept saying JFK earlier. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey, do you have any thoughts? Because this guy, I I think actually he could possibly pull it off. Possibly. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, Trump won in 2016. So nobody believed that was possible. You know, I mean, uh, right. people uh, when Trump first started running, people uh, huffing to post that we're not going to cover them in the political pages, but rather the entertainment section. So, you know, they were dismissing him really hard. So uh, uh, on the other mm -hmm. hand, there was a an open primary back in those days. And the Democrats have no intention of letting anyone near the uh, primary process in terms of debates or anything else. But, you know, anything is really possible. I mean, if the system still works, and I guess that's still, you know, at this point, it's kind of a, a big if. <laughs> but if it does, I do think he has a chance, certainly. Uh, he would not be running if he didn't believe he has a chance because there's nothing in it for him. He's fixed up. Right. He's fine. He's got a good career. Uh, but he was living a happy private life. And, and now he's taking, you know, plane trip a day and uh, giving yeah. five speeches a day and giving constant interviews. He's been hounded by the press. Every word he says is being recorded, even at an off the record interview the other day with New York uh, journalists off the record. I mean, it was just a dinner party. Somebody had a, a a phone in their in their pocket, started recording him, and excerpted out of context stuff that that led immediately the New York Times and you know the Wall Street Advertiser, the whole establishment press to say, "Ah, oh, this guy's a Nancy." So it put him yeah. on his back foot, and so he had to defend himself every day. So nobody needs this. I mean, it's crazy. There's nothing. There's nothing advantageous. He doesn't need it. Some of these some of these people run for office because they're opening businesses. They they find that uh, it's kind of a great racket, you know, trick. A lot of people into thinking you're you're um, going to save the country. They give you money, then you flip the money over into a super PAC and and pay all your friends. I mean, it's a it's kind of a yeah a way to open a business, but that's not the case here. I mean, he's running because he still believes that we we do and should live in a democracy, and and he's 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 furious about this state of the country and where things are going, and. He wants to be in a position to do something about it. He also believes that he's the right guy for the job because he's been fighting bureaucracy all of his life. And he, more than any other candidate, has really figured out the key uh, problem in America today, which is uh, he calls corporatism, which is the old word for fascism, really. And it's a merger of business and government. And the businesses, mm -hmm. in this yes. case, media, big tech, and big pharma, all rolled into one that's united with uh, these federal agencies that are that are sort of live and operate outside of any kind of uh, democratic control, he knows this better than than anybody else, and is and, and that is really his his platform is to speak the truth about what's going on in this country, 
and to do what he can to dismantle it. So it's in that sense, really brilliant. Uh, I was, he spoke in New Hampshire when I was just there for uh, Porkfest and I was really honored that his, his team asked me to introduce him. Uh, so really, yeah. So I was, well, he, you. I thought you did a fine job, Jeffrey. Thank you. Well, you know, I had no idea what I was going to say before I got up there. And then I, I just, <laughs> and in my own mind, I, I counted out the months between the beginning of the lockdowns and that day, and it was 40 months. And so then I thought, oh, well, you know, wow. 40 has this sort of uh, poetic uh, biblical uh, meaning, biblical in, in our religious history is, you know, 40 years in the desert, uh, wandering, and then Jesus was in the, uh, went to the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And uh, even now, there's 40 days between uh, Lent and, and and Easter for the Catholic uh, calendar. And I think it's true for Eastern Orthodoxy too. So, and there's other other numerological significance to this. So I just pointed that out. You know that you know is 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 he our emancipator? Is this the emancipation? Is it is it is it happening? You know, but better 40 months than 40 years. <laughs> so, yeah. You can always find something worse to compare it to. I'm sure that keeps you optimistic. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, given that I thought uh, the lockdowns were going to last four hours, or and then I thought maybe they'll last forty days, but I certainly didn't imagine that they would go on for years. How long so, did it, how long when you when it first happened? How long did it take for you to catch on, uh, to figure out this is well? I, so the problem is I figured it out before they uh, actually were implemented. So I, I figured it you, out from I from remember Feb- that. Yeah, February twenty seventh was. Yeah, was, I remember that the clue. And that's only because of you know the tea leaves, which is to say the New York Times. Um, I I read them uh, very well, and uh, that was the day of the podcast where um, Michael Barbaro and Donald G. McNeil, their lead bias reporter, were were, uh, uh, were were departed from 100 years of, of tradition of public health advice. Instead of telling people to stay calm and see the doctor if they get sick, they were they were screaming that everybody should panic and and disinfect mm-hmm. everything and one in six of your friends is going to die i mean it was it was it was the craziest looniest podcast i've heard in my life and and i thought after that i thought there's no way this is an accident somebody put uh the new york times up to this and they decided to be the first ones to break the ice and signal the coming lockdowns and of course it was uh, two weeks later, basically, and then um, after, then December eighth was South by Southwest was canceled by unilateral dictate from from a mayor in Austin, Texas, who's an idiot, and he wouldn't have done that without somebody's higher up permission. And then uh, four days later, of course, we had the travel restrictions from Europe. You know, it was interesting. Back in January, Trump blocked all flights from China, and everybody on the right was saying, "Oh, yay, we don't want those dirty Chinese here anyway with their with their awful virus." Well. I mean, a couple months later, sure enough, it's it's European, Europe, uh, UK, New Zealand, and Australia, right? So that was on the twelfth. I wasn't not even aware wow. that the the president alone had that kind of power, but he did it, breaking up families, romances, uh, shattering uh, every vacation. I mean, none of those tickets, by the way, have ever been re- reimbursed by anybody. And then weddings, and then, weddings and then giving, funerals, yeah, weddings, and then. And that right, and then you know everybody who was out of the country was told to come back to the U.S. I mean, can you imagine? In in and and three days, they said that uh, uh, they had three days to get back. And this is they were starting to talk about uh, 
social distancing at the time. Well, every international airport in the United States was was crammed. There were there were eight hour waits at at uh, customs uh, so and check. <laughs> yeah, it was just crazy. So you know, it was like super spreader events in the extreme. Uh, yeah, I took I, I took a flight from LAX the summer of two thousand twenty. And I came uh-huh. back in Orange County. So LAX, Orange County, if you know anything, uh, that was a that was a perfect window into the whole country, because at LAX it was paranoia. It was like where, I mean, it was irrational too. Uh, so it was paranoia and rational. Like you had to be disinfected, this and that, blah blah blah. And then they cram you into an airplane. There's the irrational part where you're standing, but you have to wear a mask. Unless you're eating. So then people were like eating forever and, and drinking the straw forever like I was. Oh, wait a minute. This is a summer of 2020? 2020. And then I came uh, back through uh, Orange County. And Orange County was like, I saw a statue of John Wayne. And I was like, oh, this this is America. I'm still in America, apparently, because it was it was no irrationality at all. Yeah. What, what a crazy time, right? Uh, mostly in those days, the flights were empty. Uh, there were oh, there were flights. Mine still... was packed, and I, it was I couldn't breathe oh. with the stupid ma- mask. I I couldn't breathe, yeah. and yeah. I know you know I don't need a doctor to tell me that I'm you know I I can breathe when I don't feel like I can, right? You know, so I probably yeah, just but, got, uh, this probably just got taken off of YouTube just now by that comment. But well, you know what was remarkable too about the masking situation is that it was very well known. F- factual information that was not exactly disguised. In fact, uh, Fauci himself said it. Well, everybody said it. You don't have to. The The holes in the masks are, you know, thousands of times larger than, than a, a particle of virus. So there was no chance that masks could achieve anything in terms of stopping SARS-CoV-2. It was ridiculous. So the whole thing was a, a panic device. It was a kind of a fake prophylactic you know, well, they were saying it was in the droplets. Remember that? And uh-huh. the droplets can be caught by the. Yeah, but not the, not the virus itself. I mean, so. Right, right, know, right. I mean, you know, it's just so. And then they had their great Swiss cheese model, you know, uh, but the, the great the great fundamental error here was the idea that the, 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 the way to deal with COVID was to avoid it at all costs. I mean, that's just simply not true for any. That's respiratory good. Pathogens. I'm glad I mean, you said that. True. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, the whole your your clean your your piece on cleanliness. Oh uh, yeah, I uh, forget what it's called. Uh, yeah, the, clean and the unclean, clean, right. clean and unclean thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was that was my favorite. That was my introduction to you, Jeffrey. I'm a brand new fan, and oh, okay, I felt like you were putting your finger on something that even my yeah. seven year old could yeah. articulate and was frustrated with, but felt like he couldn't say. He couldn't be the boy that said the emperor is naked, and yeah. I mm. I just noticed that. There's so many, so many people were, they knew what they were experiencing with their eyes and they were certain that something was off, but they were self-censoring, which I mean, that's, that's what I believe Harrington, Tom Harrington tonight, you're having that supper club in Connecticut with Brownstone to celebrate some of his awareness of the self-censoring or what it's doing to the younger generation. You can't have these free and creative conversations anymore. So to like swing it back to RFK, He's saying the things we, so many of us have been thinking, yeah. but he's doing it with intelligence 
with yeah. more research than most of us could ever sustain. And he's right. doing it in a non-showy, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the savior way that's, that really invites a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. um, he's, not, he's not as charismatic as I think people are accustomed to. Um, and he has information that's that's yeah. worth listening. His video um, that Epoch Times did on the real Anthony Fauci, I was just so delighted and also moved to to know how long Fauci has been working unhindered and encouraged and and promoted and pay. And I, when I saw the work you were doing, and I and I and I saw you were connect, connected with um, Simon Godek. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. It just gave me such a charge of hopefulness. Even if I'm not all on board with RFK, I, I just am so grateful that mm -hmm. you have continued to speak boldly and right. articulately, and you're making room for other people to do that. Yeah. Well, that's the job of Brownstone. I mean, we're really, our purpose is to be a sanctuary or, you know, sort of a salvific institution to give voice to these people who have been blocked. I mean, we, we can't forget that, you know, for three and a half years, there have been massive censorship. It began immediately after yes. the lockdown, really. You know, uh, they shut you down, shattered you down, shut you down, throttled you, finally banned your accounts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people got just fired from their jobs. I mean, um, for the masking issue, you know, that was the first purge. Well, the first purge was, you know, sort of, do, are you scared of COVID? If you're not scared of COVID, that you're a bad person, you're a grandma killer. And then, then the masking thing became a standard, and uh, and and people were being kicked out of stores. I mean, it's funny. I I got kicked out of several stores uh, because uh, so I was a, I wasn't not wearing a mask to be belligerent. I was not wearing a mask to inspire others to emancipate themselves. So that was yes. my that was my thinking. If that yeah. if I went without a mask, other people could say they could too. Because I mean, it was weird. I mean, the mask has always been a a, a kind of a marker of of slavery. And yeah, uh, well, there were people on the other side of that that were wearing it. They were, uh, there was one person getting out of a car, driving by themselves, had a mask on. I said, "Why are you wearing it by yourself in, in the car?" And the person said, "To inspire others." <laughs> So, so you have this back and forth of, okay, well, I'm oh, taking wait. mine off. I'm going to drive without it. I'm going to drive by myself without it to inspire. Others. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I still won't go back in, into those stores that kicked me out last time. I'm, 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 I've been a little bit slow to forgive on this, on this COVID issue, you know? Uh, so I got kicked out of one store as a nice, nice family grocery store. And it was, I don't know, some, some uh, some woke employee tossed me out, and and I still have not gone back. I drove by there. In fact, this morning I thought, nah, <laughs> still mad about it. Uh, the NIH we recently discovered had several memos back and forth between top top, top scientists in which they were arguing that uh, that N95 respirators should be mandated for every American, absolutely mandated uh, for all indoor and outdoor you know, where, and they, that exchanged this and, and, and the precedent they cited for this was like all the terrible things in us history. It's like, well, we interned the Japanese, we shut down speech during world war one. Uh, the guy even pointed out, said, well, you know, Lincoln suspended habeas corpus uh, during the civil war. So surely we can mandate in 95 respirators on every American. So that came, came very close to happening. You know, that's, that's how, that's how grim it was. Bad no, times. I, I think it's good not to forget that then. Yeah. And so um, let me just go back to this purge point. So it's a, a sort of successive purges. 
So, oh, and the first round of purge was that if you get COVID, that's proof you, that you're uh, unclean and reckless and non-compliant. So, and 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 so people were being shamed. Oh yeah, you got COVID, huh? You must be a bad person. So that was round one. And then it was, oh, you're not wearing a mask. That really makes you a bad person. And then of course we had the vaccine, and and you had to accept this on faith because you don't know what's in it. It's a new technology. It's never been tested. Uh, the safety profile was unclear. Uh, it's you know so the safety and effectiveness of this vaccine were, were 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 always in question, but what was not in question was the necessity. We had known since February, early February 2020, that COVID was, only had medically significant outcomes for a small cohort of the population, mostly defined by by age and uh, comorbidities. All right, so we knew this already that if working age people were of of almost zero. Um, danger healthy person you know under the age of 30 was of was near zero and children were of no risk whatsoever so we all knew all this so uh so none of these mitigation measures were were effective and they they weren't even necessary that that's the shocking thing to me and yet they wanted they wanted 90 percent of the population to be vaccinated and they started off with 70 and then they went to 80 and then they got to 90. And uh, and that included, of course, at the end of the day, children, right? So, which was, you know, a complete shock. And so you had to, right. that's how extreme it got. You know, they, they they like a good cult, they asked you to believe things that were not believable and act on them as proof of your devotion to the cult. Exactly like a cult. It's exactly like yeah. dysfunctional families and groups where you're proving yourself by admitting uh-huh can't trust your experience yeah. and and you're you're outdoing each other yeah. by admitting more than you can believe to prove your allegiance it, it mm-hmm. reminds me of all hazing and fraternities uh-huh. and sororities uh-huh. it reminds me of what what the popular girls did and how uh-huh. they dressed and how we would do things to prove we we belonged uh-huh. that we knew were bad for us Amazing. And it's the same thing, but it's writ large. And I think the thing that was so terrifying for for us small business owners who are just trying to like keep our head above water is if you don't do this, it's not just that you're going to lose your friends because you're going to find out who your real friends are, which to me is always an encouraging, purging, painful, but as a good experience, you know, who really is thinking around me. But you're, you're going to be punished in major ways with your job, with your finances, and really with access to, to medical care, you know, if you don't really know what this virus is and you're told you, we can't take care of you because you didn't get vaccinated. I mean, I was told that by my doctor mm-hmm. because I was unvaccinated. I was unable to be cared for. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the reality is mm-hmm. we all did OK. We, my whole family did OK. But but to know that my choices were discounting me from society's meaningful helpfulness. Right. Yeah. It was a terrifying place to be yeah. with the really it was difficult to get access to so much right. information. Uh, remarkably, uh, many, many students left college. Many professors lost their positions because they wouldn't comply. Many people left the military. So that was the great third round of the purge. The, the point was to purge all of academic, uh, public sector life, media. You know, there's lots, lots of vaccination mandates within media. Uh, the 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 goal there was to was to use the vaccination as a tool, not so much of mitigating a disease, but as a way of discovering 
who the people were within your ranks that were um Mm-hmm. Uh, not trustworthy from your point of view. Yes. Uh, so, so, uh, so. Well, basically, it was a, a hunt for, uh, for for Trump supporters. At least that's so. Not getting vaccinated is fascinating to me. How it, it became that like, is, that's fascinating. Yeah. It it was they used uh, vaccination status as a kind of a, a rough proxy, for yeah. for, for fi- it was a it was a witch hunt for to find whomever was responsible for for the trump presidency so and it was fascinating because um, that's why thought, that's why rfk jr is so interesting because yeah. he like what my friends he said they, they say oh he's he's not actually for the second amendment he because he uh he is uh he would sign an assault weapon ban for example uh, i don't know how they get that information because from what i hear those kind of things are censored on on social media platforms. And I've heard of a trustworthy source that, that said that his video was taken down um, huh. on RFK Jr. But what I do like about RFK, I mean, he is a Democrat, but what I do like about him is he has been censored. And that is a little bit of a trust. That's a handhold for me because mm-hmm. I've been censored and it it sucks I hate it worse than almost anything is when I'm censored. I hate it. Uh, but he, he's been censored and, and he knows what it feels like and he knows who's doing it and why. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like he, he might have good instincts on at least some things. Oh, I think on actually on most things. I mean, there's some issues I have disagreements with, you know, but that, but, but, but in general, I'm very, I'm very impressed with his outlook, his anti-statism was very interesting. His awareness of the, of the problem of corporatism. But um, is it genuine the, though? Like, because I, I yeah, saw yeah. a video, I saw a video of him in San Francisco and he was, I liked the video. It was great. Mm-hmm. It was, and it was a, I think it was an ad actually, maybe, but he was on Instagram and he was just panning around this dead street. And he was like, you know, he talks, there's Barney's there's, you know, there's Disney. He's like these great American companies, you know? And I I was thinking to myself, okay, they're not great companies. You lost me there, but it is unfair that they were shut down. I don't want to see that happening to anybody, but they were out of business. Those, those locations were shut down. They're out of business forever in San Francisco. And he was upset by that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm not sure if he seems like he kind of likes the, the woke corporatism a little bit. And that's what I was a little uh, bit worried by. Uh, I'm, I don't, I'm not really, I've not really seen that. Um, I think his concern was that San Francisco is being destroyed as, as a city. And, um, and it certainly feels that way about, about Dallas and Boston, you know, which is basically his home. Uh, all these cities were wrecked. Uh, by by first the COVID lockdowns and then everything that followed, you know the vaccine vaccine mandates were. I mean, it's hard to people don't remember this, but there were like five major American cities that were shut down for the unvaccinated. Like you could not get a drink, couldn't go to the theater, you couldn't go to the library. Uh, which which five were they? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was, it was Boston, uh, D.C., New Orleans, uh, the whole of New York City and chicago so they were all uh segregated and incredibly according to the demographics of vaccination uh nationwide especially in these big cities as many as uh half of 40 to 
50% of the members of the uh, black communities in these cities chose not to get the vaccine for obvious reasons. I mean, it's like they're not going to trust you know the man with his potion and his magic shot. And so the uh, disparate impact on on black folks in the, in this country was was overwhelming. So we we actually segregated all these cities in effect by race in a way that was that had a disparate impact on race for all the world looked exactly like racial segregation. The mainstream media had nothing to say about it. I read exactly one article that pointed this out, and it was in the Epoch Times. Otherwise, everybody just ignored it. We reimposed and, and, you, and you wrote it, right? <laughs> just kidding. Who well, wrote the Epoch Times one? I, I, I consulted on it. <laughs> and Lucas, RFK has been the one to point out how media has abdicated their typical place where they're supposed to be focused, which is... Yeah. It's the phrase he used at Porkfest, Jeffrey, about holding people, holding the power to account. It was a phrase he used several times. He's so articulate and so good. And he's he's ferocious. Yeah. And he's really he passionate about all the... Uh, ferocious the, is the, the right yeah, word. Yeah. He's going to have to convince people like Jonathan uh, if he wants the nomination. Well, right I want to know. In New uh, Hampshire. He's got to go to New Hampshire first. New He's got to go to New Hampshire and convince. Oh, I think, I think like he's going to. I think he's going to win uh, New Hampshire. In fact, a, a lot of Democrats love this guy. They do. Um, yeah. What, so, what do you disagree uh, about with him, Jeffrey? I want to know where you disagree with him. Um, I well, I think um, he. Uh, well, I'm, I I get concerned about his views on 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 the best methods for energy production. I he's somehow certain. That you know that we can we can uh, with a good market for exchanging, um, uh, for for collecting and distributing you know accumulated energy from wind and solar power, that uh, we would need uh, fossil fuels in this country. That's what he seems. He's well. That's what he says. And and uh, there's a number of things about that. I mean, I'm not a, an expert in energy, but. He says the grid is all screwed up, that it's all sort of corporatized and bureaucratized and cartelized. And so, for example, you know, uh, you would love as a small farmer to uh, dedicate some of your land to um, to solar power and then accumulate that energy and that energy, which you don't use, you put out on, on a market, which you're, you're not permitted to do now unless you're a major corporation. Right. So he thinks that through this method, you could have a market. That would somehow displace um, the need for fossil fuels. And my concern about that is, um, you know, that he might embark upon some grand uh, Eisenhower-style uh, big government program to reconstruct the entire electrical grid to make it more compatible for renewable energies. And I was like, I just don't believe that. I'm very skeptical of that. I, I'm a fan of fossil fuels. I. You know, I don't believe that um, that we can game the system in a way that would make them somehow go away. Now, when um, you say Eisenhower style, are you referring to his final speech? No, no, I'm talking about or... his interstate highway system. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay, gotcha. Sorry, <laughs> his final speech was great. No, it's the interstate okay. highway system. So I'm a little concerned that uh, that RFK has too much faith in government. Basically, I mean, just to sum it up, uh, that's that's how I'd, I'd put it. Uh, for example, he always talks about the uh, the desperate need to clean up these bureaucracies. I'm, I'm just one example. The FDA and NIH are entirely controlled by Big Farm, right? And he's right. I mean, the Department of Agriculture is controlled by Big uh, Ag that that games all the rules against small farmers. 
Um, I mean, you could just go through the list. The Department of Housing and uh, uh, Urban Housing and Urban Development is entirely run by big real estate developers. I mean, so he's right about this. These, it's hard to tell what's the hand and what's the glove, and they all kind of work together, and it's kind of grotesque. Um, I think his right. plan for fixing it is to is to root out the industrial interests from these bureaucracies, and I'm trying to imagine what that looks like, really, and um, well, let me just put it this way. I'm not sure that these agencies would really improve in absence of private influence. It might actually get <laughs> worse, if you know what I mean. Like the FDA without any uh, input from pharmaceutical companies, God knows what it would turn into. I, You know, it's right. bad now, but it's, it could always get worse. So, I, well, you if know, you want to see what a government looks like, totally absent of private influence, just look at the <laughs> Soviet Union. <laughs> That's kind of, although that was a fascistic system too. But th these are these are fundamental philosophical uh, yes, questions, uh, but but they may become really relevant under an RFK presidency, right? So, but anyway, it's only four years. I would love to see him make a tremendous mess of the administrative state. You know, just like like wrecking everything, you know, and saying and saying if you if you go to work for the FDA, you can't go to work for a pharmaceutical company for a, a you know for 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 ten years after you quit. I mean, that would I don't know what that would because nobody would do it. I mean, it would just be great. So it would be fun to watch it, you know. Um, so my preference is for you know an abolitionist. I, I would like to see, you know, a, a guy go in there just and and really smash all 413 government agencies. I I don't like any of them. Well, I'm in the same boat with you, but you know I've heard this language of draining the swamp once before, and I'm and I just listen to RFK. I keep hearing that he has tremendous faith. Yeah, human spirit to do what is right, and I also have tremendous faith in virtue and people to listen to goodness mm -hmm. and follow mm -hmm. God. But there's right. an incentivization in all bureaucracy in the government mm -hmm. to stop shrinking as soon as you have a job there. I don't mm -hmm. I don't sense that RFK is dialed in to the solution for big government is not more government oversight. Yeah, I, 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 or or purging government of all private influence. I mean, this is the this is the most, so he's 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 identified a very serious problem. I'm He's not as clear on the solutions. He's great on civil liberties, by the way, on every aspect of civil liberties. Yes, uh, with, with now the the gun issues, uh, I think. It's, what about uh, guns? Well, it's yeah. a sticking point. It's a sticking point for him, right? But uh, but even there, I mean, he's explained it many times. I've heard him now on three or four or five different occasions talk about it. That now is not the time to raise questions about the Second Amendment uh, uh, gun ownership rights. Because, you know, Very the, the government. Though, like at Pork yeah. Fest, he was really good at saying, "This is yeah. a divided issue. I'm not here to divide." Right. Well, it would be like a republic. Yeah, it would be but like I, a Republican. It would be like a Republican after Roe versus Wade say, "This is not the time to deal with that." Um, I don't sense I, he's probably going to prioritize it at all. I don't. No. I, I mean, he has a lot of respect for the rural right. experience of Americans. He said, like being being yeah. a American, gun ownership is kind oh, of. Oh, I know. American. He loves right. that and gets that, but he doesn't understand that gun ownership is not about being like just a bastard, you know, and like feeling macho. Like for me, gun ownership is about saying I have the capacity to defend my two boys if my mm -hmm. husband's out of town. 
because the cops mm. aren't going to get here in time. And mm. I hate the fact that I have to know how to operate a side a sidearm. But mm. I don't think RFK understands what like just the power differential between a man and a woman and what gun ownership does. And he'll even call some of the things I want to use to properly stop some crazy from getting into my house. He'd call them an assault weapon. I don't think he understands. This is like a little bit of an elitist in him. I don't think he understands mm -hmm. how there's a freedom bound up with mm -hmm. the capacity to defend my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. There is, a, you know, his, uh, he, what what he imagines uh, America is is um, as it was when his uncle died in like 1962. That's that's the world he wants to to uh, re and he romanticizes that world in many ways um, uh, for good reason, right? But but I don't think you know these 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 high powered weaponry that you see. Um, so common in the United States today was was common in 1962. So I think, I think I think he would be great with like gun clubs and schools and and sort of um, shotguns, yeah, and shotguns, you know, uh, on the gun rack and and in every home. I and mean, that's not a problem for him. Uh, but I think I think he's just concerned about the um, what he calls a, the assault rifle. But I don't think those concerns are really driving him. And he's not. He said he would sign legislation if it were passed by both houses of Congress, which would never happen. Let's just be clear about that. That would never happen. So basically, he said he would never touch guns. So that's yeah, that's fine. He has a lot of respect for the Supreme Court ruling, which he believes is very like a wide interpretation yeah. of. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so that's a good ruling for him because it allows it. So here's the thing. I think that RFK has become in very fast motion over three years, uh, pretty much of a libertarian. But but people don't make that shift all at once, you know, mm -hmm. and and so fair, he's fair a, enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of, he's kind of 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 uh are you, you saying know, people change jeffrey is that what yeah, you're saying he's, uh, yeah he, that, yeah i think lockdowns really shifted conversion. conversion is slow when it's when you're older and and also you have to make sense of it i mean like the human mind is funny we like to believe when we believe something new we're very reluctant and most of the time we're right uh oh. to think that this is completely de novo that we've changed our minds that we used to be stupid and now we're smart Mostly what we try to do is say, you know, I had a sense of this in the past. And and it's true. I said some things that are slightly different from this one. But when I said those old things, that was because there were different circumstances. And so I think that's what he's doing in his mind. So uh, just to, for an example, uh, for example, he gave a big speech, I think, uh, yesterday um, uh, where he said he would like to back the dollar with with Bitcoin. You know, and so like, yeah. So he's he's like he we, said we, that, yeah, really? yeah. Oh. He said we got it. Fiat money is dangerous. All it does is fuel big government and powerful people and subsidize finance at the expense of the real economy. So what we need to do is ground the dollar in in something real, gold and Bitcoin and and you know other precious metals and that sort of thing. So it's he's like he really wants to restrain the Federal Reserve. But in talking about it, he he roots it in in something that happened in the um, JFK administration, where JFK was 
talking about it. I, I looked this up the other day. It didn't seem very significant, but it seemed as if JFK was toying around with the idea of, of uh, some kind of silver standard for the, for the dollar. Uh, that would uh, restrain some aspects of uh, federal discretion over monetary policy. So, and so uh, it, it was fly by night thing. As far as I mean, I don't know. I've I've read the conspiracy theory that that's why he was assassinated. So you know, you never know about these things. But it didn't seem that significant. But so he he goes back through his family history to find a case in which you know his own own family has favored you know curbing the power of the Federal Reserve using monetary restraint and monetary reform rooted in silver and he's he like updates it to the you know the 21st century and says it should be bitcoin now so you see how his brain's working i do and this is where i think his greatest weakness is is that he is using jfk as almost a godfather a template if you will for the way he needs to be he's a kennedy democrat yeah there are so many things I already don't agree with JFK on, but now pulling JFK forward into 2023, 2024, right. you, you can't be identical. There's a romance to it. Exactly. Exactly. You said it. There's a nostalgia, a romance. And that I think that's why he could win. So, so I so here I, I think that's why um, Arnold Schwarzenegger won in California. Yeah, it's, it's why I think I have to disagree with you because. Uh, something strange has happened to America over the last three years. We have had this kind of weird collective amnesia. Hardly anybody remembers anything. We don't remember what life was like when we felt more or less free. We can hardly remember the calendar and the dates over the last three years. I mean, That's lockdown does to you. Trauma. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's made us all crazy yeah. and confused. And so That's when RFK, when he stands up and talks and tells these stories about his uncle, tells these stories about his father, and then tells more stories. He tells the story of the Boston Tea Party. He tells the story of the Midnight Ride of Powell Revere. I mean, he tells, you know, it's amazing. He's become like this national historian. And it's a weird feeling, even for me. I'm just like, I'm wow. glad you're thinking too. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> we have a. I'm like, I don't remember that like that. But maybe he knows more. Well, it's just weird to realize, oh, we have a past. He, he remembers oh, Montgomery oh, Wards. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, we have we have like, roots. We're we're letting him recall who we were. Exactly. And, and we're grateful for someone doing the remembering work for us. That's and it. That, that's wanted and needed. That's actually exactly what powered my my show and my paintings. As people have gotten yeah. so broken at remembering, exactly. they can't even wrap words around COVID, much that's less right. what life was like before that. That's right. So I think he's doing a great service in a sense, and it's an attack on power because in an Orwellian sense, um, government has, tried, has made us forget by scrambling our brains, scrambling our world, ruining our rituals of life and, you know, denying us access to, you know, weddings and funerals and travels and, you know, just making everything so crazy. We've gotten disoriented and confused. So he's rooting us in, in the past. Like this is our history. This is our shared national experience. This is what happened, um, and 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 reconstructing this for us, you know, going back uh, 250 years, and he does it at every opportunity. I think that the idea there is to give us, to ground us, and to root us to to reality, and to remind us that we do have a history, we do have a past, we are a people of some meaning with a proud history, something to be proud of, which is also, you know, 
That's the other thing the left has done. They've taken away our 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 history, like a sixteen nineteen project. Oh, forget July Fourth. That's stupid. Your dumb patriotic songs. Really, um, the real founding of America was sixteen nineteen, right? You know, as a slave state. So this is what they're taking, and then the tearing down of every statue. God knows who's being taken down today. So uh, you know, and a people without a, a memory. Right. Uh, well, to- there there always has been that. Remember, the cornerstone speech of Alexander Stevens was a rejection of the Declaration of Independence. That was the cornerstone of the Confederacy. There uh-huh. always has been uh-huh. a presence of a skepticism of of our the riches of our heritage. Uh, you know, it was there in segregation. Mm-hmm. It was there. You know, it's all. It always shows up in a form of statism of some kind. Uh, by the way, I didn't remember that about Alexander Stevens. And, and oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but it makes sense, right? Eighteen sixty-one. Yeah. Well, uh, because um, because the Declaration of Independence said all men are created equal and endowed them all with right. the rights. So you know. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Yeah, the, uh, Confeder- which, the Confederates explicitly rejected yeah, that. Right, and and it was interesting because because Jefferson was of course himself uh, an abolitionist and and was against slavery, but and even though he was you know a Southern Virginia planter, right, uh, upper class plant, planting class aristocrat, um, never liked slavery, and and for that reason, uh, the the aristocracy of deep south and the slaveocracy uh never liked jefferson they hated him and uh when the constitution was written uh he wasn't really part of the construction of that i mean he he came back from france in time for its ratification it was a huge champion of the bill of rights but the constitution was written especially the fifth amendment to to enable slavery to persist if if Jefferson had had anything to do with it, it never would have been constructed that way. Um, so, you know, in many ways, Je- Jefferson is a great, you know, a great champion in, in the history of liberty. Um, and it's just incredible uh, to me that we've seen a hardcore Jefferson revisionism coming from this sort of critical race theory left, where they're, they're you know, this whole Sa- Sally Fleming's, you know, issue, you know, and... And they're they're trying to demonize them. If you go to Monticello today, you won't hear a word about the Declaration of Independence or his his history as an emancipationist or anything like that. You just you'll only hear about you know the the slaves he owned and the way he oppressed his mistress. You know, so they're trying to take even Jefferson away from us. So this is another great thing about RFK. I mean, he's actually proud of our founding. I mean. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't. And it's think... not, a, it's not a gimmick, right? It's not. No, he, he, you think no. it's, it's, it's probably him sitting on his grandpappy's knee. Who, what was oh, his yeah. name? Joseph. Yeah. yeah. You know, and Eunice or who, what? His grandma, and yeah. they really did do that stuff. They, 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 they did, had those they kind of it. fire chat stories. Yeah. You know, and, and they, they believe in America. America. I believe in America. So they really do believe in this country and everything it's about and all of its values. That's that's embedded in the family. There's something very interesting about about his sort of uh, patrician outlook on American history, like a strong believer in the American experiment. You know, as a as a as a, as a democracy that guarantees equal rights and freedoms uh, and civil liberties to everybody. He was, like, strongly believes in this ideal, and, and this is why he's running. To for presidents to restore that 
But for him, it's a distinctly American contribution to the entire world. And there's a funny story. I I listened to the Twitter space where, that he held with uh, Elon Musk and his you know, his sort of patrician Americanism. Uh, it's also funny because you know he's also a sort of a the classic uh, sort of New England uh, Yankee, right? Uh, aristocracy. So, um, which which I'm, you know, I'm from Texas, so it's a good. Night. I recognize it, uh, but he doesn't recognize it, right? So, mm-hmm. anyway, he's uh, so he thinks America is basically, you know, Northeast Cape, Cape Cod. <laughs> Oh, it is. I'm from Los Angeles and I feel it too. I know yeah, exactly. I, he can't help it. It's just who he is. It's just funny. Every time he talks about, you know, and on the Hudson River this and then in the Boston Harbor that, that's like all it talks about. I, I think um, it's Colorado where I grew up. Yeah. And so that's funny. But he was he was talking to uh, Elon Musk and and he was saying, listen, uh, and Elon Musk is supposed to be interviewing RFK, but RFK is a very sort of sweet person as in a, a person with his lineage and uh, heritage and training is, would naturally be deferential towards others, right? It's just sort of part of the way these people are. They're, they're trained to be that way. So he starts interviewing Elon. He goes, you know, Elon, you know, you're, the thing I'm most impressed about you is you seem to have a strong belief in free speech and you and you believe in this despite the fact that you weren't even, you really weren't even born in America, right? And Elon said, but no, I mean, it's true that I was born in South Africa, but I, I, I quite like, uh, you know, free speech. Because, well, now, you know, in the United States, we have this First Amendment that guarantees us, you know, freedom of speech. And and it seems like uh, you, you know, as a South African, though, have nonetheless uh, come to really have a great appreciation for the First Amendment, just like we Americans do. Uh, how do you explain that? And he said, well, look, I... I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I was born in South Africa, moved to Canada, but now I'm I'm American. I have an American citizenship. I, I'm an American. And and RFK <laughs> was utterly unflappable. He goes, well, look, however you come across this this firm belief in the First Amendment, I just want to say I'm I'm proud, you know, that of this. It makes me proud as an American to to have a person like like you with your views, you know. <laughs> it was so it was just hilarious. Yeah, so his patrician, you know, sort of charming old world American, oh, you it's know, charming. it is, it is yeah. charming, and you feel yeah. like this is our chance in America to have had an aristocracy. That's what Camelot was all yeah. about. Right. But I feel even now a resentment for how JFK wooed and wrote. Trust them. I come in at this and I look at someone like RFK and I want to say, don't give me your dad's line. Give me your line, number one. And number two, you're not going to have the media eating out of your hand like your dad did. You're not going to have them. They're not going to have. I'm back. Are you? I'm back. Oh, woohoo! I'm I back. I can see you, Lucas. We lost Jeffrey. Hopefully, he'll pop back in. Okay. This is fun. Ho- hold on a sec. Hold on. Let me re- let me pause it. 
this hagiographical port. Yes. He wants to draw out this, this lineage, this, this sort of uh, hagiographical uh, heritage, you know, in which we have this community of saints, you know, from Washington to Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and uh, uh, through Lincoln, FTR, and then finally his uncle. I mean, that's, and then himself. I mean, that's, 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 the, and there's a great deal of mythology associated with that. On the other hand, I do believe Americans want to be proud of their history. And, and he, he wants to be the nation's historian. And I'm telling you, we need a historian right now. I really believe this. I'm not a conservative in that sense, but I don't believe that we can imagine a future liberty unless we believe we have something to be proud of and, the, and a past of liberty. Yes. I, I completely I agree. agree with that. I studied history at, at Jefferson's College at University of Virginia, and I um, I'm teaching history now to my two boys, home home educating them, and history is where I find myself becoming the most fiery. Well, that and art, I'm, I'm really pushy about art too, but the, the stories we tell ourselves, what creates the men and women we grow into. I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And we can't we can't live in this world in which we're supposed to just hate ourselves, hate our country, hate our history, and not have anything. You know, yeah. people all over the world say to me, they're like, you're so lucky as an American because you have a Bill of Rights and a Constitution and history of liberty. We, you know, in wherever that happens to be, Brazil, uh, don't have that same thing. Yeah. So, okay, that's if that's right, then then we should rally around that and we should believe in it and we should yeah. teach that to our kids. Amen. Preach it, brother Tucker. <laughs> I, think, I think the biggest problem I see today is that every young person is looking into someone else's eyes to get a reflection of who they're supposed to be. There's very little self-confidence in owning their space. The immaturity has been prolonged so many years that People are looking for someone to be their savior and to give them a script and to give them their marching orders. They don't yeah. have that inner strength to say, this is where I'm uniquely gifted to contribute. I mean, even RFK standing so heavily on his, on his uncles, that, that, that's the kind of stuff that makes me go, wait a second here. Is this just for marketing? Because he knows if he says he's a De Kennedy Democrat, he can get Democrats to kind of rally behind him? Or is this right. really the way he sees himself? Uh, well, he has to believe that he has a mission. I mean, I mean he's doing crazy things. He he, he was living a happy life, you know, uh, with his. With so his you don't think he just he needs power? You're not. You're not. That's not on your he radar. He just certainly doesn't need what he's going through right now. I mean, I can't believe how brutally he's treated by the press. It's unbelievable. Yeah, every day there's rough. a smear after a smear after a smear. Every day, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the New York Times. It's, it's just this nonstop barrage. Yeah. You know, and that uh, seemed to fuel uh, Trump. Trump seemed to get energy from that, but I don't think RFK Jr. gets the same kind of energy from that kind of opposition. Well, he's he's mature enough to kind of see through it, and I appreciate that. I, I mean, do too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know what? It's, it's, you don't think he's owned, you don't think he's owned by anyone? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. He's he's owned by. Uh, but his, by his own by his own self perception as a as a Yankee patrician or in, a, in an entitled family that that should be ruling America that that's what owns him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know I can well, imagine worse things. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's very sweet. Yeah, I, I, I agree. When I heard him at St. Anselm's three weeks ago, this was really my first introduction to him. So I'm covering this as a newbie with just a lot of energy. Yeah. And I just want you to know the main thing he said, it was about foreign policy. He said the main job of a president, as my uncle said, was to keep the president needs to keep America out of war. That is mm -hmm. the number one job of president. Do you agree with that, Jeffrey? Um. Uh, I, th I, d I do think it's a, a priority, um, especially in the 21st century. I mean, um, yeah, I, I do. And I, I agree with him, too. I really liked what he said the other day, that his uncles, uh, you know, had a good relationship with Khrushchev. Now, that was a that was a risky remark to make. Right. Because in saying that you're sort of alienating, you know, everybody on the right on the right wing that hates Khrushchev, you know, but but he's right about Khrushchev. I, in fact, I'm going to write an article about this. I mean, Khrushchev was a reformist in the Soviet sense, uh, constantly subverted by the bureaucracy. His Khrushchev's main enemy uh, during the Khrushchev rule was was the corporate class in Russia and the bureaucracy of the Communist Party. He kept wanting to reform and free up prices and turn over state-owned industries to private enterprise and make the peace abroad and so on. Um, in fact, he came to the United States and and toured around, you know, and was very impressed by New York and that sort of thing, and and went back trying to figure out how can the Soviet Union have an economy just as progressive and vibrant and growing as the U.S. and tried to make that happen. It didn't work, and you know he was unseated from power, and mm -hmm. and 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 during his, his uh, later years. Uh, was was impoverished and spent his life, you know, sitting at the public parks feeding the pigeons uh, with wow. breadcrumbs. I mean, so Khrushchev was 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 so very. In other words, he was a normal Soviet. <laughs> yeah, right. But he was a very interesting figure in that period of time. And it's true that JFK reached out to him, and they both agreed we should not be at war. Let's that get really stupid. Right, that red yeah. stone they installed. I just think. I mean, yeah. talk about like bringing. James Bond into real life. It's like this capacity that they saw that we just have to talk because everyone around us. Look at you, Lucas. Hold that up. What is that? You can. <laughs> oh, that's the old the old Cleon Skousen book or French Schwartz. Yeah, French Schwartz. Yeah. You can trust the communists. You can trust them to be communists. To be communists yeah. He humanized. He humanized oh. Russia in that speech at Saint Anselm's in a way that I thought was very provocative. The idea. Oh that yeah. Russia's point of view is not being listened to on yeah. either side. And what would it be like if we were in their shoes and how would we treat them? And I, I mean, I appreciate that a lot. I just, I, I don't know that I would say that's the number one priority of the president. That's just interesting. Well, I don't know. You know, war becomes, nobody cares about the war until it actually becomes a hot war and then the Americans right. are dying, you know, right? But uh, for the sake of peace, we, I think we need we need peace and good relations with Russia and China. So I, I wrote an article this morning for Epoch Times saying, you know, proposing a kind of a, 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 a re reproachment uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. with with Xi Jinping because we need that for for trade purposes and and uh, for the future of America, prosperity and peace around the world. Like we we just we just need this, and and nobody really you know the Democrats want war with Russia, the Republicans want war with China. I'm like, how about how about we just go back to George Washington and have 
<laughs> you know, commercial relations with the world and and no political entanglements with anybody. I mean, that would, that would be the ideal system. No, I agree. And I'm not a warmonger anyway. I hate war. I think it's one of the worst things. I I I I well, have well, let me let me add something on the war thing. Uh, I'm going to bring it back to the Constitution since I've had Charles Kessler on this <laughs> and um John Yu and some people are going to be watching this. I know not very many people, but there are key people that would watch this. And I want to get this point in, in case there's a staff member of RFK Jr. that watches this at some point. But uh, going back to the Constitution, there is no one main thing that the president is supposed to do. There's duties and there's powers, but they're, they're not really privileged. You know, he's got a duty that he shall take mm -hmm. care of the laws, be faithfully executed. And it's left for the political process to determine what those laws should be. Um, but, you know, he's got power to pardon. He's got power to appoint, things like that. But, you know, the, the point I wanted to make that was relevant to John Yu's episode when he came in and talked about uh, John, uh, his book on Trump and presidential power is it would be ironic that RFK Jr. would mirror Trump in that way because what we're really talking about with the administrative state is executive control over the executive branch, right? We're talking about the, the Constitution is very clear. The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States. It's not right. vested in the executive branch. It's executive. Mm -hmm. It's It's vested in one person. That's right. Not not the vice president, the president. Right. So and, the founders never even imagined such thing as the administrative state. So between right. the ratification of the of the Constitution in 1789 and about 1881, there was no such thing as a permanent employee of the federal government. That only began after the Pendleton Act, and uh, that's so, and so the and, constant war thing. Yeah. That is a relatively new thing, right? Uh -huh. Last oh, 50 sure. years or whatever. Uh -huh. And th these are not declared wars. So that's brand that's new, uh -huh. right? After World that's War right. II, there had not been uh -huh. a declared war. It used yeah. to be back in the old days, and this is even before the Kennedys, that the wars were declared by Congress, yeah. right? Uh -huh. And so sure. now you have yeah. the administrative state really, that's I think, right. kind of has a vested interest yeah. And, so it and know. it began with the Spanish American War, the idea that you know, would have the permanent war bureaucracy. And then it expanded with the Great War. And then with the income tax, suddenly we had the IRS and then you had the Federal Reserve. And so, so you know, the, the, it just got it just got worse and worse and worse. And with the New Deal, of course, the FDR, you know, had uh, the whole agencies running industry, and then that got worse in World War II. And then it's just everything multiplied. Now we have the civil service is the real government in America, and then the elected uh, yeah. uh, branches right. of the government are, are are not even relevant. So you know, Trump wants to uh, to be in a position to hire and fire out of the civil service, which Amen. I think is a good a good step in the right direction. The New York Times says, "Oh, he wants to be a dictator." Oh, so the dictatorship <laughs> they favor is an unelected dictatorship by the administrative bureaucracies. Yeah, exactly. I don't want the elected leader of the country, you know, ruling yeah. over the so. Yeah. So Trump that whole, and it's that whole democracy thing that they don't like. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and I, I just, when I hit the roof, when I read that article, um, so I wrote an article Now I'm not a defender of Trump at all, as everybody knows, but my article was no, Trump does not want to be a dictator. That's the title of my article. It's, it's so ridiculous. 
But both RFK and Trump, and I should say uh, DeSantis and Ramaswamy, all have a bead on this problem of the administrative state. They're going to they're gonna try to do something about it. Whether they will is another question, but at least we're talking about it now for the first time. And you think that RFK might be headed in the right direction on that? Because yeah, I think I do. You, you can interpret his, his stuff, his pro-civil liberties that you're saying, um, the concern with guns that we have is really a concern about the administrative state. It's a concern with the mm -hmm. ATF, for example. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. concern for some of these administrative agencies that just yeah. make up stuff and they do whatever they want. That's right. And it's it's his, it's his number as, one focus. As I say, my concern is that he doesn't want to abolish these agencies. He wants to reform them. Uh, on the other hand... Sounds a little naive to me. Uh, yeah. Unless, and, unless what you mean is presidential control, yeah, which is the constitutional answer. I don't think that's what he means. I think he he has in his mind a sort of a good government model that's very dated, <laughs> I would say. That is that you get smart people out of out of out of Harvard, get the best experts, and get them in government. And McNamara. And and, and uh, sorry, I just had to think that just reminds me of McNamara. You know, get Bob McNamara in there running defense, and and get them get them um, so they're not influenced by you know private private industrial interests and and that therefore they'll make the right decision look at he's never said that no. i sometimes wonder if that's if that's sort of his his model you know the that that sort of 1950s uh you know liberalism uh but look i whatever i i don't think uh, jeffrey tucker's vision uh, is going to be, you know, going to going to be born anytime soon. So, I, I do like the idea that he has yeah. a, he has a, he has a sense of of what the problem is, and and he's proposing uh, to, to do something about it. That's that I find very intriguing, and it could be a first a first step, a first and very effective step to dismantling this the bureaucratic yeah. machinery that's strangling the life out of this country right now. Well, the, think does, if he does that, if he steps up and has a chance and he actually wins, how long do you think it's going to be before people are plotting to take him out? I mean, assassination, take him out. I'm going to ask what I've heard oh, people say. Well, that's assassination, but there's other ways to take people out, right? I mean, uh, uh, scandals and, you know, uh, you know, God knows. Look what they tried with Trump. I mean, they, they did everything. And they finally figured out. You know, I can. I just imagine meetings. You know, instead of the fall of 2019, it's like the Russia thing didn't really work. This Ukraine thing doesn't seem to be going really well. Does anybody have any other ideas? And I said, well, you know, he's a real germaphobe. Can we? Uh, hmm. well, we might be able to work with that. Oh, the old infectious disease trick, huh? We haven't tried that in a long time. Hmm. <laughs> and it worked oh. on Trump. So. You know, I I just hope you're not giving anybody any ideas. There, well, Jeffrey. the CIA specializes in finding well, vulnerabilities. That's you true. Know? This, if this I is... was pre if I was president, I would have one agency. It would be the CIA. I would abolish the Department of Education. Everything would be done by the CIA. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm just kidding. Ah, well, I'm kidding. Um, you know, in case you didn't know, thing, I have a very dry sense of humor. RFK is not on the Jeffrey Epstein flight logs, so that's that's important. I think that's. Sort of the first first uh, thing you want out of a, pr a president is uh, make sure you're not on the flight logs of the Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Uh, good old Cheryl uh, Hines has got him on that dog. He's got him. She's got him on a tight dog leash there. <laughs> All right. Curb your enthusiasm there, Mr. Robert. Third, third, third times I, I love charm. that show, by the way. <laughs> I love that show. You, are you familiar with that? His wife was on. I, 
Jonalyn? Are you? I've met her, but I never saw the show. No. Oh, it's great. It's a great mm. show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, I don't want. She does have him on a tight leash. Yeah. You know, that's good because that's a good that's a good because that fits with his you know his wholesome presentation he tries to have this wholesome americana presentation which we know for we know for a fact was fake for many of the kennedys uh oh i know that for sure his uncle ted was a catastrophe i mean god i could tell you stories you wouldn't believe about that guy um what does his family think of him jeffrey i don't know how do they treat him is he the black sheep or do they have mm -hmm. a little like back backhanded respect for him kind of being so Older. When you say his family, because you know it's a, it's a, the family is gigantic. At the at the speech in Boston, at the opening speech, um, they had two whole wings of the balcony filled with uh, with Kennedy, the Kennedy family f- f- fans and friends. So, you know, he's got a big family, and and God knows families have ferocious political disagreements with each other. You know, right? We don't entirely understand why that is but uh family that big is going to have a lot of disagreements so he's got some you know wokesters in his clan and Mm -hmm. and others that 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 love him for that matter he has disagreements with his Rochelle alliance about some political issues but but he's got a core to him that that i've noticed that's that's very impressive and i would i would call it a libertarian core so jeffrey Uh, would you give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down I mean, oh, I'm, I, 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 I I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. And, the, and, and I consider these, these uh, libertarian purists and they're, they're, they're sort of scrupulous, you know, sort of going through his, his life uh, and condemning him. Reason Magazine has been absolutely the worst on that. I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff, but they, they, they're dedicating all their editorial capital to destroying RFK. Why would you do that? I don't know. But I, I I don't agree with any of that. I think he's a hugely positive force. Um, my own uh, bias, I mean, like, for me, I'm drawn to either of the existing field. You know, it's going to be, you know, from my mind, it's, it's a it's a toss-up between RFK and DeSantis, and they both had their strengths and their weaknesses. I would say overall, RFK is better than uh, DeSantis on, on foreign policy issues. And... Um, and RFK also avoids the culture wars uh, in a way in which DeSantis does not. DeSantis seems to have gone all in mm-hmm. on the culture war stuff, which some of which I agree with. Sometimes it seems a little, little over the top, um, and I and maybe sometimes R, uh, RFK neglects that too much. But I, I do just I share his. His outlook, I would say, just in general, a little bit more. As I say, I have, I have some some doubts. Oh, I'll tell you the other area where RFK uh, slightly bothers me. Okay. He's like the old Democrat, and in that in he he just somehow thinks the labor unions are always great. You know, it's like a, if a, if the labor unions on strike, they're great, they're good guys. He's going to well, be there with. That's them part guys. of the baggage of the stuff you were just mentioning about how yeah. how old how great it was fifty years ago. I mean, that's, like, the, that's New Deal stuff. That that's yeah, you know, yeah. progressive. I mean, stuff. we got ten ten percent of the American workforce is unionized, and the unions that are left are you know the people that kept the schools closed, and mm-hmm. you know I don't know. I mean, like oh I'm just, I mean, he was he was up protesting with the Hollywood writers. It's like, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the Hollywood writers are doing are going to be just fine, you know, whatever. So I'm not really drawn to that, but I tolerate it a little bit. And and there's another thing that's pretty interesting. 
he uh the supreme court decision on on the harvard uh affirmative yeah. action thing he he was on the other side of that and said oh this is very bad harvard should uh, give privileges to to black folks and now um but here again i'm of i'm of two minds on one hand yes i cheered that decision because i'm sick and tired of you that's know, a civil uh, liberties decision there jeffrey well you know and i don't i don't like uh uh uh, standards that I like merit-based hirings and and I think uh, uh, CRT and affirmative action and ESG and DEI corporate practices are are a disaster, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I kind of cheered that decision. But but yeah, but it does uh, impose itself on what is ultimately a private institution. You know, uh, so you here you have well, they're the not court. Hillsdale College. They're taking a lot of money from the government. Mm-hmm. Well, and- that's true. And I mean, Hillsdale College would love to have their endowment. <laughs> so mm-hmm. whether they yeah. need that money or not, I don't know, but they sure yeah. take a lot of it. And yeah. so that's really the issue is, you know, yeah. just like the Bob Jones issue. I mean, the Bob Jones yeah. issue in like the 70s, uh, IRS came yeah. down on them for segregation yeah. for the exact yeah. same thing. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, if you're going to racially segregate, mm-hmm. then fine. You just can't have any tax money. You can't yeah. have a tax-free status. So I'm not sure that the Supreme Court made any reference, however, to the public funding that goes into Harvard. I mean, I haven't read the decision, but I, I've not I've not heard that. I, my impression was the Supreme Court said, look, colleges and universities cannot have race-based admissions. Um, and remain uh, tax-exempt. It's a it's a tax-exempt issue. That's interesting. Just like I just like the Bob Jones case yeah. in 19, I think 72 or whatever it was. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure about that. But I've you know, with RFK, I've learned to kind of, you know, I've, I, 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 I stu- I'm studying him like 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 you know, like I'm watching a, a science project unfold or something like that. I'm very interested in what his biases are and you know, his positions. And I'm sort of curious. Sometimes he surprises me, you know, and sometimes I wince like, oh, <laughs> You know, like out there you know, protesting against the Hollywood producers on yeah. the writers or whatever. You know, I mean, it's I like know. is that maybe that's his wife? I don't know. He's in Hollywood. Yeah, I'm maybe. Not, not and sure. the other but. thing is that these days I'm ready to believe that I'm wrong about something that I think I'm correct on. Right? I'm, I'm right. always willing to reconsider a lot of things. I'll tell you a quick example of this. I was at the symphony a couple of weeks ago, and uh, all the symphony players were out out front ha- passing out flyers about uh, that they needed uh, pay raises as part of the music unions. Now, the old me would have said, shit, whatever. I mean, you know how many people play trumpet in this town? I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry you're not paid enough. You know? <laughs> but but I was talking to one of them and he said, you know, these bastards, uh, they locked us down and wouldn't let us perform for two years. Meanwhile, they all got pay raises and had their Zoomy jobs and kept their job. They were the 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 administrative aspect, of the fundraisers, and the bureaucracies of the symphony were all giving themselves raises and working full time. We, on the other hand, were not getting any money or any gigs, and we're sitting at home. So we come back, and no pay raise whatsoever. So our and and a lot of inflation. So our yeah. our 
our wages and salaries are far lower now than they were five years ago. The management of this godforsaken institution, everybody's rich, richer than ever, never missed a day in work. So we're just asking for a little bit of fairness. So I'm listening to this going, oh, I, I see that your speech was constructed perfectly for me. <laughs> and so, and so I'm like, you know, I, I can't say you don't have a good point there. You know, so, so sometimes that you know you can pitch uh, union causes in a way that appeal to me. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but that's what it's exciting about being willing to change your mind. Do you think right. our table changes mind when it goes against his family's? Uh, uh, well, so he's changed his mind a lot on a lot of things. I think you know, um, uh, gun rights is a good example, and I think on the lockdowns. Uh, he was shocked by that, you know, and it's made him rethink a, a lot of things. Mm. So uh, he does have an adaptable mind and on economic issues, he's a little bit, uh, a little weak, you know, just in general. Yeah. Um, like, I'm not sure if he would, he would know who to, whom to appoint as a treasury secretary, for example. Yeah. yeah he doesn't live in that world, you know, that's, as well. that, that's a, that's a good connection with, the progressive fascination, you know, from Woodrow Wilson on with uh, government by expertise. And you know this mm -hmm. whole line, right? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. the question is, how do you get the expertise? For sure. You're no, not going to get I mean, it in college. No. You might be trained how to be a Democrat in college, be a wokester in college. I don't yeah. know. But you're going to be trained in industry. That's why I mean, look at Bob McNamara. I mentioned him a while ago. He ran Ford or whatever it was before yeah. he was defense secretary under Kennedy. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, he's trained in statistics, but he he was in industry and uh -huh. and that that progressive fascination with expertise and you get trained in industry is part of the whole regulatory capture thing we're seeing. Um, yeah. And that's why I think it's a little bit naive to think that can be somehow reformed unless you reform oh, how know. people get expertise. And I don't know oh, how you do that. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, the, tre the, the, the offices of the Federal Reserve and the Treasury and all the financial economic institutions have always been filled by major investment banking uh, staffers. And, you know, that's just the way it works. That's the way it's always. So you yeah, want to get Girl Scouts. Right. So you want to get experts in, in the Department of Treasury who've never had any experience? In the financial industry, I mean that seems that could actually be worse. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is here, and I think RFK is going to have to deal with some of these problems. Now, I don't know where the AFT gets their guys because they don't know. They they don't seem to know anything about the industry they rec they regulate. But <laughs> I, I will tell you a quick a quick interesting story about this, however, because um, RFK uh, told me that he had uh, you know this do you know the economist named david stockman he's on the board of brownstone and a good 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 friend of mine and he was reagan's okay. first uh, budget director and, cool. and just just a really great guy just overall i mean i think he's the greatest living economist actually in my mind Can you tell me his name one more time jeffrey i want to write it down yeah david stockman stockman you had me at reagan yeah, he was Reagan's first uh, budget budget director. Just and uh, I got to say, I'll keep an eye out for him. Please continue yeah. your story. I have to I say stuff greatest, like that on the Republican professor. He, he was the greatest greatest living economist, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, uh, so RFK said, "Look, um, my whole life, I've I always thought I was an opposite size of David Stockman. Uh, 
I I define myself against the Reagan revolution. But now I listen to David's talk when everything he says sounds right to me, especially on matters of war and peace, but even on matters of Federal Reserve and economics. It's like, I really want to have a discussion with him. Do you think he'd be open to it? And I said, well, sure. So I wrote, uh, I wrote David and I said, hey, what do you think about having a discussion with um, David Stockman? And he said, that's really interesting. I think I'd like to do it. Well, so they have a Zoom call together. Um, you can actually look it up. Well, they talk for like 90 minutes. But here's what's interesting. So my my hope was that David would like instruct RFK on all matters of economics, right? And the budget and the need to cut the budget and get the debt under control and, you know, all these things. What but happened? What actually happened is they talked the entire time about Ukraine. Oh, golly. <laughs> That's where RFK is most comfortable. <laughs> it is. So there you go. That's his thing. He's so strong with that. And yeah. I just think he That's can't a very be an human. expert in all these fields. He's going to yeah. have to appoint people to these other places. But, That's but a very human thing. story, though. That's great. That's a Yeah, human story. but the thing is, he developed a good relationship with David That's during right. the court, during that That's time. Right. And so, so if RFK becomes president, why wouldn't he call up David and say, would you be interested in being my secretary of treasury? That's why a wonderful Why wouldn't, yeah, why wouldn't that happen? They First, you have them. to learn, you have to trust people on matters right. that are really important to you. And then you trust them on matters of their expertise, something like that. Trust is the coin of the realm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a very interesting story there, Jeffrey. Thank you for telling that. What do you think about Ukraine? Oh, I think U.S. needs to be out. You know, I mean, uh, you know, these borders, uh, we've got it. We've got a problem in Ukraine, obviously. It's, it's not a unified country. Yeah. And the uh, uh, U.S. needs to stay out of that. And Ukraine does not need to join uh, NATO. And I would like to see NATO go back to being, <laughs> I don't know why we need NATO. But if we're going to have NATO, it should at least go back to its original 1990 promise, you know, to not go one inch, uh, you know, closer to Russia. I mean, like there's a way towards mm -hmm. peace here. And it's got to have to do something to do with um, uh, giving the, the 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 eastern side of Ukraine some autonomy from from Kiev. I mean, that seems to be the obvious answer. But we can't have war. This is crazy. But you can't also deny uh, you can't you can't be having a government that's abusing its own own citizens in the east uh, who feel a greater attachment to Russia than than to their own government under which they live. I mean, that that's not a viable situation. Anyway, it's not for me to solve the Ukrainian problem. I just don't right. think that the U.S. needs to have anything to do it. We can have a role in brokering a peace there. And certainly, at the very least, stop fomenting the war. That'd be a good a good start. All right. Well, I, I, I'm agnostic about the Ukraine thing. I, I feel like I, I would need to be in briefings to figure out what, what's happening. Cause I, oh, you know, I don't know. Well, I just exhausted, uh, no idea. My knowledge. Um, I did have yeah, somebody yeah. the other day ask me the other day, of um, the problem of Nazis in Ukraine, which I'm sure, you know, you know, somebody about. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's actually, the the story there is so incredible. I was able to give this guy a tutorial in a century of Ukrainian uh, relations with 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 Russia, and the reason why there's so many Nazis there now, and it's it's the most. So there really are Nazis there. Oh yeah. Oh okay. 
I, I was I, I was laughing because it sounded ridiculous to me. But okay, no, no, Continu no, no. I mean, continue. Nazis are all all about the war on on Russia, and and uh, yeah, it's got a huge Nazi element. Well, but it, it goes all the way back to Ukrainian famine and and the Russia uh, German uh, conflict in World War II, which was a much oh, bigger man. bigger theater of action than anything that the yeah. U.S. involved itself in, mm -hmm. and many Ukrainians sided with Germany over Russia during world war ii because of the 1920s stalinist harvest of sorrows uh, yeah the harvest of sorrows and all that kind of stuff so there's yeah. like an extremely long history and these are people that don't forget unlike americans yeah they, they live in Ro robert history. robert conquest harvest of sorrows by the book yeah that's right so that explains why there's nazis in ukraine today um okay. i have uh, a meeting that okay. starts at 3 30 so i need to run but i appreciate so much being with you today jeffrey Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. You'll take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, what'd you think? We're still recording, Jonalyn. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, a treat to find out Jeffrey's a real person, you know, like he really is. being himself and rolling when he doesn't know with honesty. I disrespect that a lot. Really respect that. Yeah, I agree. He's and a real person. The real person and Lucas, you are too. So watching you be your Me? real self, oh my word, I loved it. The way you were poking in the little bits of what you knew about how the the Harvard decision, the Supreme Court is about. What did you say? You're like Jeffrey. This is about this mm -hmm. is about tax money. And like you know, I don't know that he made that connection before. And you're you're helping him think about it in a different way in your area of expertise. I just, I'm just so proud of you. So glad to know you. This was a treat yeah. to be honest. I can't believe you asked me. Oh my gosh. Of course. Well, look at behind you. Look at that painting right there. That lady with her hand over her mouth. Uh, if it is a hand, it's probably not even her hand. It's a mask of some it's kind. Hand. It's the way she felt about the medical establishment. Let's get an update on your, your show. How's your show going? You okay, got your show fine. going? Yeah. Going great. We've had probably 150, 200 people passing through from all over exeter is such a big hub for education i think let's see that's awesome so istanbul came by and said i saw a covid show the only other place i've seen a covid art show was in istanbul and it was during the lockdowns i was like what that's wow. so awesome and he told me about it he told me how my show reminded him of it i mean what a compliment huge compliment huge amazing amazing story so i actually have some of them right here the stories people are telling me after they see the exhibit it's just do you have any examples that you'd like to share i'll share one okay this girl came in she didn't even know what my show was about and before i knew it she was writing this when the school shut down i lost my income with the lockdowns i lost my social life the only thing keeping me going i lived alone so i did the only thing i could i started hiking Meanwhile, people on social media began parking lot shaming at trailheads, but I felt healthier than ever. So I kept hiking that lasted for two years and I hurt my ankle at this place. She calls it the wilder. These people paid mask bouncers to turn people away who weren't wearing masks. My friend refused. So I followed him, but I slipped on the soaking wet floor, keeping people safe. They didn't even have a sign warning people of the wet floor. I couldn't hike anymore. I caught COVID shortly after that. The vitamin D and exercise was what was protecting me, but those were the very things being shamed. 
And that's the very kind of thing that will get this censored on YouTube because it's a true story, not misinformation, but it's actually true. That's what she wrote. That's what she wrote. That's what she wrote. Yeah. It was blown away that there were other people like her and that there were the stories being put in a public place and that she had access to them. Wow. I, this is why I painted Lucas. Wow. That's powerful. Good for you. Thanks for do giving you, me. Do you, do you feel like the last time we talked was before your show, yeah, what? your art show. So refer back to her episode just a few, like a couple weeks ago. Uh, everyone, have have you had any regrets in the last couple of weeks, or is it just been confirmation? No regrets. That's a great question. I have not had any regrets. I am learning so much about the community here, about people, about what art can do, about the power of beauty. I'm learning about my own capacity to be courageous. I, I think the only regret I have is that I didn't do more COVID paintings because there are things I thought I should paint, but I ran out of wall space at the, at the little space of it, the wow. exhibition. Wow. Now you're in... Exeter, have you learned more about your community? Oh, yeah, definitely. See, my exhibit is broken up. One wall is all the COVID paintings, all 20 of them. And then the other wall are all my still life and landscapes. And I was anxious people were going to come in and be like, this is stupid art. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's just an amateur. And I've got, I haven't received that at all. I've had people walk in, even if they take one look at the COVID wall and they just whirl on their heel and either march out or they just like, I just want to look at her landscapes. I just want to be over here on this safe side. <laughs> I'm learning about how people are self-censoring, even what they look at. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a teenage boy who's watching some film and there's some nudity in it and they quickly cover their eyes. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to be looking at that. If that's what it reminds me of. But these are adults looking at pictures like this. Wow. Wow. That is a perfect analogy. That is so great. Wow. That's crazy. It is. And I'm sitting up there, you know, painting, just being quiet, letting the paintings do their good work. So I know this is totally speculative, but based on our conversation with Jeffrey there and what you know about your community, how do you think that they would react to J RFK Jr.? Well, I actually know about RFK because of someone here in town who invited me and she's done a ton of work drumming up support and they're just doing something again this week to go do like a town hall meeting with him and other New Hampshire communities. There's a lot of support in New Hampshire for RFK, but there's a huge libertarian. This is like the the libertarian state in, of the whole union. You know, this is America's live for your die state. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's a good, let me correct that. I, I put librarian. The, uh, it was a librarian state. Hold on. Jeffrey. I think that's what Jeffrey meant too. Okay. So libertarian, how do you spell it? I thought it was like, so you guys are like fans of books. Okay. Li libertarian. I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really happy that you're, you're there still. And I'm, I'm really, I want to, 
I want to get the on. I, I don't think you're going to be there during the election, though. So I was going to I was hoping for some on ground intelligence gathering. But, um, you know, God's in control of all those pieces. We're, we're possibly going to rent, possibly going to move. Um, and if we rent, we'll be coming back for things like <laughs> elections and yeah. uh, maybe another art show. You know, I'd love to do a part two and do like a year. They've invited me to come back every year and do like a month show here. And and the space oh. has asked me to extend my show for another month. So I'm going to be actually in the space all through August as well. Wow. That's a huge compliment to you. Congratulations. Thank you. I don't well, know if Jeffrey's going to come up, but it meant so much that I got to talk with him today, Lucas. Thank you. Well, I'll make sure that he knows that. And uh, while well, you're on the, the email, so just reply. And and by the way, if you would mind uh, just replying with that TV interview link, oh, yeah. so that would be very easy for us to just, boom, put it in yes. there. Yeah. Looking forward I'll, to it. Thank I'll, you. I'll, so. I'll Thanks, Jonalyn. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Lucas. You have a great day.